Support for today's episode comes from B Birdwatcher Spiritual Stones, a jewelry line that encompasses the principles of protection and strength while using amazing gems like jade and rose quartz. As a Boonie Breakdown listener, you can receive 15% off your purchase by using the code Boonie. Details on how to purchase can be found in the show notes on thebooniebreakdown.com. Hey guys, it's your girl Boonie and you're listening to episode 21 of the Boonie Breakdown. This week's guest is Jamila of Journey to Launch. Uh, we have a dope discussion on personal finance. Uh, she she has a really great story and I was happy that she agreed to come on the podcast. Um, she gives some really good tips and I think if you listen to the entire episode, you'll get some great tips on becoming tax efficient and budgeting, which I know I need help with. Um, and also working on how to motivate your partner or spouse to have passion in your financial goals and moving to, you know, one specific financial goal together. And, um, I think it's dope that how I found her, she said that her and her husband had both saved $85,000 in one year. So I don't know about you, but I would love to learn how to be able to save $85,000 in a year. So that is our guest for today. If you haven't been over to thebooniebreakdown.com, you should head on over there. Uh, It is a new blog post. I did a recap of my experience in Dinner en Blanc, Baltimore, 2017. Um, Yeah, you know, it was an experience. I just don't think it was an experience for me. And that's okay, because not every experience is for everybody. So I'm not saying that if you went and you had fun that you shouldn't have had fun. I'm just saying, you know, the fun moments didn't outweigh the moments where I was like, oh my God, what the fuck? Why the fuck am I doing this to myself? So <laughs> head on over to thebooniebreakdown.com to read that and feel free to share. Also, if you still by chance are not following us on Facebook, it's the Booney Breakdown and also on Instagram, the same thing. So now it's time for Booney's pick of the week. Um, it is Sunday, July 16th. And we have all been waiting for this moment. Winter is finally here. Um, so this week, the pick of the week is Game of Thrones. I am so excited for this premiere. I don't think I've been this excited for a television show in quite some time. Um, I know a few people who binged it, who have binged the entire series in a week. And it was actually fun watching them binge the show. And having those same reactions to like the Red Wedding and and when uh, Frey was finally killed. Sorry, it's a spoiler alert if you have not gotten there. And if you haven't, like I know people who are in season two and still don't know the characters. <laughs> they can't keep them apart. But uh, it was fun to watch that. So I am excited to watch this finally tonight. And I'm kind of like nervous, like. You know, they have no qualms about killing your favorite character. So it's like, you know, are they going to kill someone this season? Who are they going to kill next? What's going to happen next? Is Khaleesi going to win the throne? Like, just what is going to happen? And how are they going to round out such an amazing TV series? Um, And I don't know if you guys know, but they said some of the episodes for this 
um, final season are going to be like 90 minutes or longer. So that's exciting because I think it's only seven or eight episodes for the entire season. So get ready. And I want to take a poll. I want to know what your favorite Game of Thrones moments ever to date um, what that favorite moment is. So tweet using the hashtag the Boonie Breakdown and let me know. I'll be curious to see what you guys say. Um, and I'll tweet mine and share it so you can read it there. So that's it. Boonie's pick of the week, Game of Thrones. I can't wait to uh, Twitter watch this um, with everyone. So yeah, and don't forget to use the hashtag. Again, thanks for listening. Um, when you share the podcast, which you guys have been really dope in doing, be sure to include links because that helps people take out one extra step. So it's cool when you say, oh my God, it was so hilarious when Booney said whatever. But if you can include that link so people don't have to go search for it and they can just hit click, it's one less step for them to find the dopeness. Also remember to use the hashtag the Booney Breakdown when you share it and the hashtag pod in, P-O-D-I-N. So that's it for me. Let's uh, get into this interview with Jamila because we all need some helpful and useful tips with our coins. So let's get ready to break it down, y'all. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Boonie Breakdown podcast. I'm really excited about the guest that I have with me today. Um, I have Jamila of Journey to Launch, and welcome to the Boonie Breakdown. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I just wanted to, you know, before we get started and dive into it, if you could just give everyone your background and how you got involved in personal finance. Sure. So I'm Jamila. I... I would say I would have been interested in finances all my life. <laughs> I mean, from the perspective <laughs> of just wanting to have money and knowing that what money could provide for me growing up. Uh, we didn't have much money growing up. So just to back up a little bit, I grew up in Brooklyn, but I was born in Jamaica, the island. And so, ah. yeah, so I came here um, and my was raised by a single mom, basically. And so she immigrated here from Jamaica and along with my grandmother and some few other family members, we didn't really have much. And, you know, they raised me with a lot of love. But seeing what we didn't have and what finances could do if you were on top of them, if you had money, really just inspired me. Just even as a little kid to want to figure out a way to be rich one day. Um, so <laughs> I would say growing up, I always just had an eye for finances. I was always a saver. So I got my first job at 14 and was and have been working ever since. And one of the things that I was able to do is so I went to college and I had an internship throughout college. And because of that internship and my savings abilities, I was able to buy my first condo right out of college in Brooklyn. And then from there, you know, working full time and just and having that love for finances kind of put me on track to where I am today. And so Journey to Launch is my platform in which I talk about wanting to retire early from corporate America because I still currently work full time, but also talks about how to optimize um, anyone's finances. So 
discussing the journey to launch to financial freedom and sharing my journey with others and then helping others on their own journey to financial freedom. So I just have a question because you said that you wanted to retire early. Like what age or, or how much longer do you plan to work before you retire? So my goal is six years or less. And that's based on by the time I'm 40 years old. Right now I'm 34. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to do it before then. But if I had to maybe, you know, select a date, which is what I just, you know, I pinpointed a date. I pinpointed what would probably be the most realistic for us or for me. And it was six years from now. And I chose 40 because while I started working in my 20s, I quickly realized that I didn't really want to work for the rest of my life for anyone else. I don't mind working for myself and doing what I love, right? But I guess just working and having to commit my time to something that I'm not necessarily 100% passionate about, I just knew from when I started working full-time, that's not just what I wanted to do. And so I initially, no, it wasn't. And I said to myself in my 20s that I wasn't going to work for anyone past 30. And so as you (laughs) see, that didn't work out. (laughs) I'm still working. But part of the reason that didn't work out is because I really didn't have a set plan. You know, I really didn't know how I was going to make that after 30, like not working after 30 work. I thought I'd have to create you know, some big business or I had to be entrepreneur, which obviously helps if that someone wants to quit their job, if you had another source of income and it was your own business. But because none of that really worked out for me in my 20s and I'd started some businesses here and there and they never panned out to be able to be something I could leave my full-time job for, I kind of just fell back into the, oh, I guess, you know, I need to work. And then when I was in my early, early 30s, after being pregnant, I realized that, you know what, Now that I'm about to be a mom, so this was before I had my two kids and I had just gotten married, I said to myself, no, I definitely don't want to do this until the standard age. (laughs) Like I have to figure out a way to break free. And that's why I set the goal um, for 40. I love that. And I think as we continue this conversation, the listeners will find out like you have a really dope personal finance story and, um, after I was reading about you, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she's like inspiring because it's one thing to hear people talk about, you know, financial independence. And it's like, oh, I'm a millionaire. I did this. But I feel like you seem like a real like I hate to say that, but you seem like a real person. Like, you're <laughs> like I have a husband, I have kids and I was still able to do this. So I think that's dope. Um, but you mentioned you you bought your first condo and I think it's so funny because I read on your site that you bought it in the neighborhood of Dumbo and I was just listening to uh, Jay's 444 album (laughs) and he has that line where he's like you know I could have brought a property in Dumbo for two million it'd be worth 25 million dollars today and so I get a lot of questions because I, I too am a homeowner and I go, I go back and forth on how I feel about being a homeowner. So are homes or slash property a good investment? Is that like a good first start for people to invest? So I think that question, it depends. So if you're maybe in a neighborhood or in an area where the cost to get into buying property is reasonable, and you have the money to invest, then it definitely can be somewhere you can start. 
But I get asked that question. Like, I have a little sister, and she is, how old is she? She's 20. <laughs> she's going to kill me when she hears this. Yeah, she's 20, <laughs> I believe. Um, so she, and she wants to buy something in New York. And for her, where she is right now, buying something, like, say, in Dumbo right now would be nearly impossible, right? So I encourage her to, if she wants to buy something, perhaps she needs to, like, look into other cities, um, places where she can, you know, not necessarily, like, close but somewhere where she can maybe drive to or even fly to so it all depends depending on where you live if the barrier to entry is lower and you can get something reasonably priced or something that is like a rehab where you have like some money saved up to be able to invest then yes I do Mm -hmm. think it's a good place to start but I do think if you live in high cost of area living and you don't really have the funds, you don't want to over leverage yourself right out the gate, um, especially if you're younger, if you really can't afford um, something. I like to look at if you're going to buy property, even if it's, you know, a single family home, even if it's something you plan to live in, approach it from a perspective of it's an investment. So although you're going to live there, even if it's not multifamily, is there somewhere, is this, does this area, does this home have potential for appreciation and value? Um, Are there things you can do over time in the home that will bring it value, even if you don't plan to sell it? Because again, you don't want to buy something at the top of the market and then you want to sell it, you're kind of already at the top or you're in an area that's not appreciating. So it it takes, I would say, it's not just a one kind of simple answer. It depends on where you are, where you, um, how much money you have to invest and a lot of other factors. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, I go back and forth because it's like, yeah, this is nice to have like a write off because I don't have children. So it has its benefits, but I definitely can see why, you know, you know, you might, you know, the, the millennial late Gen Xers kind of feel like it's still buying a house, still an investment that we should make. Like it made sense for our parents and our grandparents. But like you said, like in cities like New York and Washington, D.C., it's so expensive that you might not be able to buy a property in those cities. Right. And then you also have to think about, is it um, like you buying a property that dream necessarily isn't for everyone. So don't do it just because Mm -hmm. it looks cool, because it's definitely a lot of work. It's a lot of responsibilities. And I'd say a lot of work, (laughs) as you know. Right. So and here's the thing. One of the reasons why I can't, not I want to say I can't, right? But one of the reasons why it would be harder for me to retire earlier is because we have a mortgage. So I'm married, I have two kids. So on top of just having a family that I need to provide for, we have a, a mortgage here that, you know, in the house we live in. And for me, I wouldn't mm-hmm. feel comfortable retiring without having that mortgage paid off. So sometimes the more a mortgage and these fixed expenses can act almost as like handcuffs <laughs> to um, lock you Oh my into- God. That, right. It's, it's, it's that's like exactly handcuffs. what I told my yeah. friend. It's like a ball and chain. Like <laughs> it is. that's the part that I hate. It's like, you know, I, if I wanted to pack up and move or it's this thing that I have to deal with that I just can't freely move about. No, I was going to say, which is why you got to make sure it's a good investment, right? Like that if you wanted to move yeah. somewhere else, you can because you can rent out your place because it's in a desirable area and it's a desirable, you know, property. Exactly. So, yeah, I just think, you know, if, if you're happy renting and you want to use your money elsewhere, I think you should be OK with that. Like, I don't feel like you should feel that you have to buy a home or a condo. 
Right. But again, if you wanted to get into like, you know, real estate investing and have properties that you rent out, then that's a whole different ballgame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if the intention is to rent out, you want to become, you know, a little uh, real estate little mogul, then yes, you can definitely, real estate is an excellent investment. You just got to find the right, the right properties. Yeah. So I, 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 I keep looking because I mentioned that you have like such a dope personal finance story and part of that and if you go to journeytolaunch.com you will see it all over her site is that you say you saved $85,000 in 12 months so we have to talk about like about that like how I don't even I can't even comprehend how that works right well it's interesting because the $85,000, to be clear, it's not that it was like $85,000 in cash, you know, that it's just sitting in the bank. Um, it's It was a confirmation of a different types of investments. And so we were able to do that, my husband and I, because we sat down and we made a plan together to do it. And we utilized a lot of pre-tax investment accounts. And so we used our 401ks and our 403b. And my husband, because he's a teacher, he has access to a 457 plan. And so almost half of that money was all pre-tax um, in retirement accounts. And then the other half was post-tax retirement accounts, post-index investing, and other types of savings. Gotcha. So so it's like you just said, you don't have $85,000 sitting in a bank somewhere, but some of it is for future use. Right. Like it's it's... We optimize basically our tax, like how we how we use taxes, how we're being taxed, because, you know, say we did not use that money or did not funnel that money into our pre-tax retirement accounts, it would have got taxed anyway. So the government would have took a portion of that. And so it's one of those things where depending on your income level or in general, you know, I hear a lot of people complain or talk about, oh, I pay too much in taxes or, you know, the the government takes half my check or whatever. And one of the ways to kind of go about really being smart with your money is being tax efficient. So how can you Hmm. almost protect the money that you are getting? How can you, you know, invest in tax deferred accounts in which then you can have your money grow, um, have compound interest working for you because that's what that that's what happens when you put your money away early. You can put it away, it grows compoundly with interest, and you're basically saving money with taxes. Now, not to get confused because when you do access that money later on, you'll pay taxes on it. But it's just one of the okay. things that I discovered um, when I started on really getting serious with my finances. Like, what was the best way to accelerate wealth, and that was one of them. So that you you said this word and it's a new vocabulary word that I'm, I'm not familiar with. See, I'm learning stuff too, guys. You said tax. You want to be tax efficient, right? Right. Okay. So so you know how um you know you get your check and you have something called gross income and then you have something called net income, and so yes, the government will never look at your gross income. It makes me sad, right? Because <laughs> then you look at your actual take home income, your net income. <laughs> And you're just like, what happened? Where did my money go? Yeah. Right. So when you have something like a pre-tax retirement account, like through your job, which is most people do have, or even if you just have a traditional access to a traditional IRA that you can open, 
you have ability to now save and invest money before the government can take a bite out of your check. So the more you're able to put into pre-tax retirement accounts, the less taxes the government takes from your check today. Gotcha. Okay. That seems like a pretty simple concept. It is. And it's something that, yeah. No, go ahead. You can finish. No. Yeah. I was going to say it's, it's, it's like you said, it's simple, but a lot of people don't take advantage of it because when I first started working, I didn't really care much about retirement. You know, when I was in my twenties, I was just like, who cares about when I'm 60? You know, I just want to like get my check and live now. (laughs) But what I realized is if I would have been investing the way I have been investing now, if I would have did this in my twenties, I'd have been way further along. Um, And maybe I would be able to retire like way sooner. No, I did the same thing. I think when I started working at 21 after college, I don't think I started investing in uh, my retirement accounts until I was like 25, maybe 26. So it's like I left money on the table, especially for companies that do your 401k matching or whatever. So it's like I left all that free money there. Right, right. So, but yeah. So, So before you guys like made this plan that you were going to, you know, save $85,000 using the methods you discussed. Were you guys debt-free before that? Outside of, like, your mortgage, et cetera? Yeah, so for the most part, I was lucky enough to partner up with someone who has similar, I'd say, um, financial habits. Now, he's not as into it as me, Um, but he, for the most part, he didn't really come in with a lot of debt. So that was helpful. Obviously, um, we both had college, um, loan debt that we ended up taking care of, like not fairly quickly, but throughout our twenties, we ended up being able to pay that off. And then our only real other debt would be, I would say I had a home equity line on the Dumbo property that I ended up paying off. And we did have like short-term car loans for at some point. But by the time we really started to invest, which was last year, the $85,000, we had no debt other than the mortgage. Oh, wow. That's dope. Yeah. And so, you know, you usually hear these people like, oh, I saved this money and I'm debt-free. So, like, where were some of the tangible things that you and your husband decided to do? Maybe just, like, three things that you and your husband decided to do that people can replicate in saying, you know, we're going to pay off our student loans by the time we're 30. <laughs> right. So I would say the main thing we did to really get us on track was budgeting. And it's something that people necessarily don't like doing or they don't like that word. But budgeting for us really helped because I would say before we saved $85,000, we didn't really, like the year before, we didn't save even half of that. Um, and it, so it was like, we just had, we were just kind of spending money unintentionally and we weren't taking advantage of our pre-tax retirement accounts. Like I think my husband at the time, he was probably investing only like, you know, 3%. I was doing the bare minimum just to get my company match. But once we Mm -hmm. made like, so, okay. So just to go back. So if someone's looking to now up their savings or pay off debt, you need to do a couple things. One is you need to set like what your main goals are, like what you want to accomplish because that's what we did. So when I realized that I did not want to work forever and I needed to figure out a way 
we set goals on, all right, what is going to be the priority for us in terms of our savings goals and what we want to do? So, and then once we knew our goals, then we knew how we, like, what was the most important things to do to, like, we would not, like, compromise on. And so that way, when we created our budget, which would be number two, you need to sit down and have a budget, we were able to say, all right, what's important? You know, what do we want to keep in our budget? What do we want to take out? Are we spending our money intentionally? Because the whole goal with the budget and with anyone's finances is you want to be able to create like a gap between your income and your expenses. So your income is one part of the equation. Your expenses is another part. And so on one side, you're trying to increase your income. So whether that's working more hours, doing some side hustles, um, you know, maybe getting more degrees or certifications so that way you're making as much as you can in your job or your current situation, that's one. And then the other gotcha. side of it is, yeah, is expenses. So a lot of people don't necessarily have the ability to increase their income or they can't do it right away. And so you want to focus then on expenses. What are you spending on that you can cut? And that difference, so the income minus the expenses, that gap that you create is how then you get ahead with your finances. So whether it's you want to pay off debt, or you want to save for something, you kind of use that, that, that equation, that gap now to kind of get you where you want to go. Gotcha. Well, I also think like you made this, um, like listening to you say like your husband and you guys sat down and made this plan that this is what we want to do. It's like, how do you discipline yourself to make these sacrifices? Because I do think part of budgeting and it's the thing that I struggle with the most is like, like I want to plan for the future. Like I don't want to be broke when I'm 60 or 70, but it's like, you know, the back of my mind, I'm like, well, what if I don't make it to 60 or 70? So I want to live now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you also don't want to be overextended. So it's like, how do you discipline yourself for these sacrifices to know, like for you to be able to say, I, you know, my husband and I saved $85,000 in a year. Right. So everything's relative. Right. And so, you know, for us, eighty five thousand dollars is about um, like half our income. Right. So if you maybe you're a single person or you don't make, um, you know, eighty five thousand dollars even gross a year, you're not going to be able to do necessarily that. So you're only going to be able to do like what you currently like your income. Right. So you're only able to work with what you have. Okay, And I'd say that that whole balance of enjoying life now and then saving for the future is like a tightrope. Like, you know, it's not easy because if it was something that like was easy or easy decisions to make, everyone would be kind of like making the right decisions and it's not. And I'd say that one of the things I sat down with my husband, like to get him on the same page, because I was the one that came up or thought of this idea of not working and retiring early. And when I say retire early, it doesn't doesn't mean like not working. Like I'm just going to like sit home and do nothing. I do want to bring in money. I just don't want to work in corporate America. I want to work for myself. Exactly. Like I want to do what I want to do and it's not dependent on a paycheck. It's just because it's what I love doing. And so when I came to him, I said like what type of, because I don't want to deprive him of like what he wants to do or what he likes in life today for my you know, goals. I wanted us to be on the same page. And so I asked him, I said, you know, what type of life, like, what's your ideal life now? And then kind of what's your ideal life in the future? Like when we're 55, 60, when we're 
both retired and the kids are out the house. Like, what type of life do you want to live? And then working from like kind of like the ideal of both, we kind of went back and forth in, all right, so how do we make the future happen while still making the present not miserable? You know, like we are (laughs) still enduring life because one of the things that when I started on the journey is you'll read and anybody who's on the journey to reach early retirement or financial independence early a lot of them are, you know, very aggressive savers. And so if like you go on some blogs, you'll see that maybe like some people are only spending like $15,000 a year on expenses or $20,000 a year. And for me, that was a little intimidating because I'm just like, well, like, how are we going to do that? How? Like, how? <laughs> like, I don't want to yeah, eat. How? Like, we like going out to eat. We like getting drinks. Like, so how can we balance that? And really, really, it was budgeting. So we set limits on, all right, so we like going out to eat. So how much can we afford to spend monthly on going out to eat? And we really have to stay in that budget. And I think you, you asked before, like, how do you stay, like, on track and motivated? Yeah. And it's, it's really, like, coming together, whether it's yourself or, you know, so, so you're sitting down and writing out your goals for the month. Or you're re-looking at what you, you know your goals are, or if you're in a relationship, you know you're discussing these things often. It's really coming back to figure out what's the reason why you started. Because for me, every time I'm in my car, I have a crazy commute. My commute is about an hour and a half one way. When I'm in my car every day, it's reminding me that this is why you know I'm on this path because <laughs> I don't want to do this um, forever. So it's really figuring out your why being clear about that, having constant discussions about it and writing it down so you can see it. Yeah, I think those are good tips because I remember reading somewhere that like, you know, 35% of, you know, people who are married said their biggest stress in their relationship was surrounding finances. So, you know, it's cool to hear someone say and be young and say like, you know, this is how I motivated my partner to get excited about our future and what we're going to do with money. So it seems like communication works because I did get a few questions from people who are married, you know, and one of them specifically said, was just like, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, motivate your mate into wanting to save money and pay off debt? <laughs> right. Cause it's hard if you, cause for me, I was like so excited when I saw the light, when I saw like the you know the heavens open and I saw that there was a path I was excited about it right but my husband like he was just like living his life he didn't have any clue about any of this so I couldn't come home and then expect him just to jump on board right I had to we had to have conversations about it I had to be I had to be realistic with him I had to be patient I so when even when we started to increase his contributions we did it slowly like so we didn't jump from him only contributing, I think I said, said like 3% of his retirement, um, money to retirement to like 50%. We slowly did that over time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny because my husband, while he's not like flashy and he's not a big spender, I know that probably one of his dreams is like most men, like he loves cars. And I know he one day, like <laughs> he'd love, because we both, when we were in our 20s, just spending money and not thinking about it, we had like quote unquote luxury cars. And since becoming just more intentional, we both now just gotten just more economical cars. And I'm sure one day he'd love to have like another luxury car. And so (laughs) while my goal is just like, I don't care about cars anymore. I care about my freedom. Like I'm not going to fault him though, for still maybe wanting something like that. So in my head, 
I'm trying to figure out a way where, all right, I want to retire early. Is there a way, though, we can still work towards maybe getting him what he wants in the future, too? So it's, you know, not counting out your partner's dreams. It's, it's trying to fit it all in, you know, working together to make sure that both of your needs and both of your goals are being addressed. I think that is great advice. Um, and as you're going to make this transition in a few years, because we're going to claim it, you won't, you'll be retiring. Um, if someone is considering, cause you'll be moving in towards self-employment, like how do you think your savings plans are going to change? Like, are you still anticipating it saving the same levels that you guys are now? Or how are you going to adjust that for once you become self-employed? That's a good question um, because we definitely will have to adjust um, how we're saving, which is why we're so aggressive now because we have, you know, we're both working full time. And so priority right now is to build, build, build wealth. And so let's say, you know, in six years, my dreams come true and I'm able to retire. We'd probably um, only, we'll only be able to now live off of my husband's income and he's a teacher. And so we'd have to be, probably a little bit more modest about the way we spend. But by then we should have have enough investments saved up. Whereas we can almost put our investments on autopilot. Whereas Mm. it will be at an amount where it can just almost like sit in the bank until we're ready to touch it. And hopefully by then we'll be able to live off of his income. And then I will also be bringing income, whether that's through journey to launch or just, you know, I always say like my favorite place it's Trader Joe's. Like I'll, I'm just like, I'll go pick up <laughs> a part-time job at Trader Joe's if I want. But it's just basically being able to live simply but still well off of his income, um, whatever income I bring in, and then letting our investments kind of go on autopilot. So we probably won't be as able to be a, as aggressive as we are now, but that's kind of why we're working so hard now to, and saving. Gotcha. And so, like, with your investments, are have you guys done anything – um, in the stock market with mutual funds or index funds, or are you just mostly focused on your retirement accounts? So we do a little bit of everything. Um, for the most part, we focus heavily on retirement accounts, but because we need also access, we want to be able to access our money without any, you know, loopholes or penalties. We do, we did start investing in index funds. And so, that the index funds and um, mostly like Roth, we, we started investing in Roth IRAs, um, which are still retirement accounts, but there are some um, ways you can access that without penalty before um, retirement gotcha. age two. So we kind of do a mix of both. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm, you know, I, I, um, I like to travel and so that's probably where I spend most of my discretionary income, but um someone who told me like oh you like to travel you should go open a charles schwab checking account because you can use it all over the world and they don't charge you atm fees so while i was there setting that up i totally got talked into (laughs) opening like an investment account and he's like you know it's free because you don't have this threshold of money so you're doing everything yourself blah 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 blah. so i'm like okay i'll do it and i was so afraid because it's scary. Like, Oh my God, it's the stock market. So I think I put like $75 in like as a test and I chose some index fund after reading the little newsletter and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to see what this $75 does. And then I'm going to go on my way. 
And I was so shocked because like, you know, I think I was like, I looked maybe like four months later and that $75 was like 250 bucks. Wow. And so, what yeah, the next I was like, that? Oh, <laughs> I'll tell you offline. I don't right. want to get in trouble. <laughs> but yeah, I was just like, whoa, you know, and it wasn't as scary and it was a, a reasonable amount of money that I probably would have blown on something not useful. And so it kind of made it, you know, a little tangible, like, oh, I can do this. So no, good for you, because I was also afraid to start index investing. And I have a post about when we started that and like how I got over that fear. And so I was in the same boat where, you know, because I was just used to, you know, investing in the retirement accounts. And so when it Mm -hmm. came to like now investing like outside of that, it was just like, even though you you could still invest in index funds in your retirement accounts if you have yes. those options. But I was just, this is like, you know, after tax money, like really, like I didn't, you know, I wasn't sure what to do. So I did my research and, you know, I went ahead and I did it and I feel pretty good about just having diverse funds now. It's not all tied up in retirement accounts. Yeah. yeah. So that feels good. And, you know, you mentioned you like traveling. Do you travel hack? Because if you like traveling, that's kind of like one of the ways you can reduce your traveling expenses I you know we I do I try to um we try to find like I have a a list of places that I want to go to but I will go where the cheap airfare is (laughs) so I, I I do try to um do it as inexpensively as possible right because that's one of the things we actually like because we have no debt so this is not something I recommend just for anyone to do but if you have no debt and say you can stand to pay off your credit cards in full every month, you know, opening up credit cards for the sake of just getting bonus points and then obviously paying them off. We're not, we're not carrying debt forward every month is a way that a lot of people travel. Um, it's one of the ways that I travel for free, um, throughout the year. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I said this on a past episode, I'm going to say it's the one I had on, um, with Ashley of Will Drink for Travel, um, we I have like the Southwest credit card because um, for my domestic flights, I mostly fly Southwest. That's who flies out of BWI with the most flights. And mm-hmm. so I don't think I've paid for a domestic flight in years oh, nice. <laughs> because using the card. Um, and like you said, you get the bonus points. You refer a friend. They sign mm-hmm. up. So... Um, so yeah, that's been helpful with, you know, trying to travel. But again, like you said, unless you trust yourself. Yeah, that's not something that. (laughs) But yeah, I totally agree. But yeah, I just, I think investing in the stock market is still, um, a pretty scary thing. And especially for minorities, because I used to work, um, at a regulatory agency that, you know, regulated the financial market. And when I was there, um, it was some report that came out that was saying, you know, minorities only do safe investments, life insurance, real estate, retirement. And that's why it was like part of the reason it's the huge wealth gap is because minorities don't do riskier investments. And so I, that was years ago I worked there and I still was afraid to do it. Yeah, yeah. And so I just did it like, okay, I can take the, if I, if I lost $75, I wouldn't be sad about it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I, I am curious to, you know, play in that space more, but I, I am still nervous because like you said, it's like real money that I'm, le- <laughs> I could potentially lose. So. Right. 
Right. But I mean, it's one of those things, like you said, it's this is how you become you you change your financial situation. It's how you become and how the wealthy become wealthy. You know, they invest their money. Yep. You know, it's not going to make much just sitting in a regular bank account. Um, and so you have if you can stand to invest, you should even if you know, it's funny because I get asked the question a lot that if you have debt, should you still invest? And I think mm-hmm. the answer is yes. Because now you still have to make a decision on how much you have to, you know, how much you can pay off debt and then how much you have to invest. But either way, the earlier you start investing, the more time your money has to grow for you. And it's really important, especially in our community, that we start building wealth. Yes, it really is. Because it's like that. I don't know. I'm sure everyone's probably seen this article going around on the Internet, but it was saying like, um, black families in America would need like 228 years to close to be worth exactly what white families are worth today Mm -hmm. on average, which is insane to hear like 228 years to catch up. Yeah. It's crazy. And you know, another thing I think is the whole teaching our kids about money and investing Mm -hmm. because it's something that I think I see, I mean, I see more of my peers who have children do it, but it's something that we need to do more of. So if you have kids, if you're planning to have kids, it's best to get your finances together. So that way, when you have kids, you can talk to your kids about investing and real estate. Yes. And they're aware of these concepts where they have a head start in life and building wealth. Because I, I don't believe I had that conversation once growing up. <laughs> yeah. And it's probably one of the most useful conversations you could have with your child. Oh, yes. And, And speaking for, like, setting up your children's future, like, do you think it, and have you and your husband done this, like, to start um, saving for your child's college tuition when they're born? Yeah, so one of the things we have, um, we have 529 accounts for them. Okay. But I don't want all of their money to be tied up in the 529 account, so we are, we haven't opened it up yet, so that, that would be another uh, I, I would say adventure for me because I have to like research and do everything, but you can open up custodial custodial accounts or separate investment accounts, depending on, you know, how, what you figure you want your taxes to be like when the kid accesses the money. So, because each account has tax advantages or disadvantages or limitations. So you want to make sure you understand that. But we definitely are thinking already of how can we kind of set them up so mm-hmm. where they kind of will we'll have a running start. And But that doesn't mean we want to give them everything. Because I think one of the reasons why we, like, our generation kind of, like, I, I think works hard is because we didn't have much growing up. And one of the things I see a lot happening is because we didn't have much growing up and we worked hard, we kind of want to give our kids everything but I think mm-hmm. you have to be careful because you don't want to give them everything to the fact that, that they don't know what hard work is. <laughs> so for me, <laughs> like I want to instill in them like the foundation, good money habits, and to be astute with financial terms and budgeting and all these things that I can teach them without having a million dollars or giving them a million dollars. So that way, if I do have some money to give them, they'll know what to do with it. I like that. Um and I, I also think too in the when you mentioned um, 
children, like, you know, setting them up. But I also feel like once you start a family and you, you get married and you decide to have kids, like kids are a whole nother aspect of expenses oh my God. Yes. <laughs> that I'm sure people don't take account for. So how, like, how would, you know, cause you've gone through this and you have children, like what tip would you give couples who have or are expecting children or planning on having children especially when you have a mortgage and Mm. you have student loans and you have your other expenses and you might need to buy a new car like what how can you factor in because that that terrifies me like I don't have children Mm -hmm. and I feel like you know I, I, I could do better with my finances I'm getting there um but it's like I, on paper, I should be able to afford a child, <laughs> and well, I don't know where that where the yeah, like I don't know well, where that money would come from if I had a kid. Well, okay, I guess I'm gonna step back. They don't have to be they're as ex- expensive as you want them to be. Now there are gonna be some things you can't you can't get over. So childcare is expensive, right? Daycare um, before if you know they're gonna go bef- to public school, but up until then, if you have to go back to work as a mom or dad. And they're a baby up until, you know, they can enter public school. It's expensive. To me, that's like mm-hmm. the most expensive part of having a child right now is the daycare and child care expenses. But outside of that, you can you don't have to your you know, your child doesn't have to be in the latest fashion. <laughs> your child doesn't have to be in at every extra curricular activity. They don't have to be everywhere. So these are things that maybe as parents we want for our children, but they don't need those things. So I think when it comes to like parenting, just like goals, like, you know, sit down and think about what are the goals or the things you want to instill in your children. And for us, one of the biggest things is just love and family time. And so a lot of that does not take Mm -hmm. money. Right. So outside of the childcare all the other things that it would take maybe that people say, oh, it's expensive. You know, they don't have to be in, you know, a million types of sports. Now, if you choose one or two, maybe a season to do, that's like, you know, more reasonable than everything, you know, or even when it comes to clothes, like, do they need all the latest gear? Like we hardly, we have two sons. Um, luckily they're, they're two years apart. And so like literally like the baby wears everything that the older one has worn. Uh, (laughs) We're not like into buying them a lot of things because they grew out of it, you know, like they just need the basics. So I think it's really just coming down to what do you really like want to spend on? Um, I'm just trying to think of other expenses that for kids, I would say for us right now it's childcare. Um, But that's just one of those things you really have to think about ahead and try to save up for. Yeah, I, I'm like childcare is expensive. My best friend has twins, and oh, wow. um, yeah, they're blessed that they have a family member who can assist them <laughs> at the moment. Um, but yeah, when they were telling me the price of childcare, and I'm like, wait, that's per child. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, cra- that's crazy. That's insane. I mean, and, that and is insane. We also have. Um, help so for us it's not probably as expensive as it could be so we're lucky on that front but it's still even just even with help it's still expensive (laughs) yeah and so I think one of the last questions I really wanted to ask you and since we're talking about children and future planning um have you done proper estate planning like I feel like that's another 
um, and this just came to me, but I feel like that's another area where uh, minorities, we tend to do a lot to think about right now and having, you know, ample savings account and planning for retirement. But we don't oftentimes think about when we'll no longer be here. <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty important. Um, so we did, once we had our, our child, once we had our first son, we did sit down with an estate planner and we had our wills drawn and basically just power of attorneys and what would happen to our money and our assets if something would happen to either one of us or both of us, then that's important. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's not something that we do a lot, um, you know, because, you, again, you're only worried about the current situation. You're not thinking about the future. But when you have kids, especially, it's important to do that. Yeah. I just I think we often overlook that aspect of our financial planning because it's like if you're doing all of this work <laughs> to build this wealth while you're here, you have to leave it to someone. So you and you would want it to go to the people and be distributed how you wish. So get some wills, people. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be as like I know for me through my job, I have something called like a Hyatt legal plan. So I think I pay like $6 a paycheck and it's just paying into like legal help. So Mm -hmm. getting a state lawyer and someone to help us with our will was all included. Um, So it wasn't even like we had to pay extra money. So a lot of people do have access to stuff like that. It could be included in their benefit. You just need to double check. And you probably are overlooking that benefit (laughs) Mm -hmm. and never utilizing it. But that is definitely something that I I wish more of us do. And I know it's morbid to talk about dying and death, but it's definitely something we all need to do. Right. Yeah. I don't want like I want my family like I like I don't want them to have to ask for money to like bury me or do something. Right. Like I want all that to be taken care of. Like, I don't want to go fund me floating around on Facebook just, if I die. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like, no, no. Like, how terrible is that? And it's funny. You see it all the time now. Mm-hmm. It's become so normal that it's a, it's a GoFundMe or some Indiegogo or something to help right. some family bury their loved one. Right. It's terrible. Yeah. Well, I think my last question for you before we wrap up. So where do you get your financial advice from? So like, what are your favorite financial gurus to follow um, that you're like, you know what, they give pretty dope, solid advice that I can synthesize and really use and put into an action plan? Hmm. So I would say because I'm in my car so much, I listen to a lot of podcasts. And um, some of the ones that I really started listening to that really helped me um, was one called Radical Personal Finance. Uh, I thought his um, podcast was pretty good. It has a wide range of topics. So that's, you know, if you're, if you listen, if you learn more through listening, you can like listen to some podcasts. Um, I love the blog, um, Mr. Money Mustache. It's uh, a blog about Mr. Money Mustache. It's a guy um, who's retired early and he talks more about, you know, saving money and living frugally, but, it's not to the point where you still can't like live a good life, but he does challenge you to look at your expenses, which when I started reading his blog, it really just, I was able to just take a lot of good nuggets from there. Um, so I'd recommend that. And then um, let's see, who else do I like looking at? I mean, there's so much information online. And I think that's one of the things that 
because there's so much out there, sometimes it's a little bit overwhelming. It so is. I would say kind of if you, and listen, I would say that a lot of what we talk about in personal finance is not, no one's reinventing the wheel, right? Like it's really mm -hmm. about if you find someone that you connect with, like their message, um, the way they write, just their story, kind of like not just stick to that, but for the most part, like at least like try to pick like one or two people um, that you connect with. And and with social media nowadays, it's so easy to find people. It's so easy to yeah. find stuff. And that's what I love. And like, like you said, I'm going to check out the podcast that you said because I was good. I, it's another podcast um, that I enjoy. It's called Paychecks and Balances. Okay. And it's it's two guys. It's kind of like personal finance for, and they do like some career advice too mm -hmm. for millennials. So mm -hmm. I enjoy that one too. Yeah, they they, mean, they they give pretty worthwhile tips. <laughs> right. Um, but I was yeah online. You can just find. I mean, if you're not going to my blog, of course, to read uh, there's so, so much um like stuff like you can like find. Yeah, it is. And I also feel like we need to have more of these conversations with our friends and family. Like, you know, money is one of those things that people don't like to talk about. And I kind of feel like if we were more comfortable in talking about our finances, like it, we probably would help each other out more than we think. Oh, my gosh. Yes. It's it's still kind of taboo. Like people, you know, I don't think people necessarily have that hard of a time to in this day and age to kind of like flaunt money. Like to you know, right? Like humble brag, like humble brag, like here's my new car kind of thing. But I think when it comes to really like talking about like the struggles and just the journey of getting your finances together, or okay, so in the journey, or so my my blog, my podcast, everything is called Journey to Launch because it's a journey, it's a progression to launch to financial freedom. And sometimes mm -hmm. you're in the beginning stages, sometimes you're in the intermediate stages, and sometimes you're a little bit more advanced, but it's all a progression. And I just feel like if we talk more about where we were and if we learn from each other, you know, so if someone who's a little bit more advanced talks about where they are and how they got there or versus someone who maybe is beginning and who's not afraid to ask the questions and connect, like you'll be able to like learn so much like from each other and so each other's much. experiences. Yeah. And I just think people, it's the shame wrapped around debt and people feel like, Oh, I'm going to be judged because X, Y, Z. And I made these choices, but you know, life happens to everyone and you, mm -hmm. we can all help each other out if we're in a hole or I can say, you know what, what you're doing didn't work for me. I, I found this method help. So maybe you can try this. So I think we right. need to get more comfortable because all the, like you said, all the other things we share freely or on the internet, but we never really talk about money. Right. And I'm so, that's why I love just nowadays, even though like I'm always, I feel like so old, I'm always just like, you know, the Instagrams and the Facebooks, like they change, like the thing has changed. <laughs> but, but for the, what it's good for though, is connecting with people like you normally maybe would never known about, or, you mm -hmm. know, you can share your story. And I think it's like such a powerful medium to be able to do that. I totally agree. And I met you on the internet. So Yay, yes, yes. <laughs> but I want to thank you so much for coming on the booty breakdown. Um, and before you leave, if you can just tell everyone where they can find, find you and follow you on the internet. Sure. So you can find me at journeys to launch.com. I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at journey to launch. 
And I also have a private Facebook group if you want to connect more and become an official journeyer. That's what I call my people <laughs> who come on the journey I like with it. me. Yeah, so <laughs> I have a Facebook group you can join um, and you can connect with. And I have a podcast. So check out the podcast, Journey to Launch. Yes. So you have to add that one when it comes out. You subscribe to it. I'm sure it's going to be on Apple Podcasts. I'm so terrible to all you droid people. I always forget. <laughs> like, I'm sure she'll have it somewhere else for you, too. Yeah, I'll make sure, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure it's all accessible. <laughs> well, thank you again, Jamila. Thank you so much for having me. All right, guys, that was another episode of the Boonie Breakdown podcast. Again, I want to thank Jamila from Journey to Launch uh, for all of her expertise and giving tips on how her and her family saved $85,000 in one year and how she plans to retire by the age of 40, which is pretty dope. You know, I think more of us should try to make that a goal, actually. Uh, again, just follow on uh, Facebook and Instagram, The Boonie Breakdown. Be sure to use the hashtags, The Boonie Breakdown and the hashtag pod in P-O-D-I-N. Remember the question from The Boonie Pick of the Week. Let me know what was your favorite Game of Thrones moment so far? And it could probably be from the episode we all watched tonight. Uh, so let me know. And that's it, guys. So until next time. Thank you.